Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Our next presenter, I think, is going to be a wow. Um, John Clark, Ordinary Man, 1975, major UFO incident. John wrestled with all of this for, I think, um, almost 25 to 30 years before he even put it down in a book. I mean, it's just a most amazing story. It's just one of these marvelous stories that belongs in our understanding of what the heck is going on. You're going to be wowed. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome John Clark. Morning. I never thought I'd be at a UFO conference. Um, my encounter happened, like Bob said, back in 1975. I was camping with um, friends near the Mojave Desert, actually Sequoia National Forest. And there wasn't room for Ralph, my next-door neighbor, and I and myself to sleep in the trailer, so we slept out on picnic benches. About 3 o'clock in the morning, I was awakened by him screaming. <clears throat> And um, the dog was barking, straining to get, uh, from the leash. And he's yelling, what is that? What I saw was approximately nine feet tall. It didn't make any sound. There was no up and down movement like a person walking, so I assumed it was gliding. My friend ran and locked himself in his car I went to the trailer where the wives and kids were in the trailer. I had a uh, rifle in there. And I sat there for three hours till the sun came up with the rifle pointed towards the door. <clears throat> when the sun did come up, I went over to see if I could find any tracks. I couldn't find any tracks. I woke Ralph up, my next-door neighbor. He said... Uh, Let's go back to Los Angeles. I said, what was that? He said, I don't want to talk about it. Now, at that time, which I told scientists later, the impression I got from him was he saw himself reflected through eternity. And when I went in the, uh, the trailer, you know, they said I said it was wearing a black or a purple cloak. I don't remember saying that. They, I, I thought that Ralph was seeing that thing for the first time like I was, but it turned out, I found out later that he had seen me, seen it standing next to me, and he threw a frying pan at it, and it went through this thing. That's why he was in the hysterical state that he was in. So we did leave. We went back to Los Angeles. And uh, one night, uh, our next-door neighbor, not next-door, one of our neighbors, my ex-wife's girlfriend, bought a Ouija board over. And uh, she was working it, and uh, all of a sudden it said, Q1 calling, Q1 calling. 
said, what's Q1? He said, central communications, every planet in the universe. My name is Pozan. So communication went on for a while, and I wanted to find out if it was her subconscious, my subconscious. So I asked questions that there was no way for her to know the answer, no way for me to know the answer. What friends of mine were doing, I verified later and found out it was very accurate. So one night, well, the communication went on for about three weeks. Some of the things it said was that what I saw in, in, in the forest was known as Bigfoot. Alien crashed there in 1863 from the planet Pluto. I said, well, if he's from the planet Pluto, why doesn't his own people help him? He's no longer any life on Pluto. So this is really sounding, you know, ridiculous. And I said, what was he doing in camp? He said, he was trying to wake you up. I said, why? He said, because you can help him. It, he finally said that in my previous life, I was the ruler of Mars, and I had a war with Ra, Ra being the Egyptian sun god. I go, wow, this guy must be pretty upset because I stole his daughter. I mean, this is what the, you know, the board was saying. So one night, she's working the board, and the dog's hackles went up. She said, what happened? She said, a demon tried to come through. Said, Can you stop it? Yes. So I told her to tell the board, I don't believe you. I don't believe you are an alien. I don't uh, believe you're from outer space. Do something. He said, all right, I'll work on it. That was 1975. <clears throat> After that, I, I went to Hawaii on business, and I couldn't sleep at night. I felt a presence in my room. I finally uh, stopped at a church. Uh, I'm Episcopalian. I stopped at an Episcopalian church. Priest saw I was pretty upset. Told him everything that had happened up to that point. He said, what you had encountered was Satan posing as an alien. <clears throat> But at least by talking about it, I was able to uh, finally get some sleep. I went to San Diego after that, and after that I went to Omaha, Nebraska, and I was checking out a hotel, and I asked the young lady there, do you get many tornadoes? She laughed and said, no, not too many, even though we were in Tornado Alley. Well, an hour later, the most devastating tornado in history in that, up to that date, Wiped out the hotel I was in. So I said, okay, coincidence. I do a lot of traveling and bound to run into, you know, something. Didn't even relate it to anything. Then I kept having other occurrences happen. Finally, I was over in Hawaii. I'm a private pilot. been a private pilot for over 30 years. And some friends of mine invited me to go to Hawaii with them, and we chartered a King Air and I asked the pilot if I could uh, fly right seat. He said, sure. So just past Haleakala, both engines quit. And <clears throat> I turned around and tried to tell my friends that we're going down. They didn't believe me at first, and then they saw how concerned. And the engine started back up again. So all these strange events kept happening over the years and I kept writing off as coincidence. So I stopped traveling and I went to work for a San Francisco newspaper 
And I told my boss all the things that had happened up to that point. He said, why don't you contact this friend of mine? He's a psychic. His name was Fred Knoll. As soon as I walked into Fred's office, he goes, aliens. <clears throat> well, at least it's not Satan. <laughs> so <clears throat> he got me in touch with Dr. Richard Haynes. At that time, Dr. Haynes was with Ames Research, NASA research psychologist. And he handled UFO reports, military, commercial, civilian. He taped our conversation. He called me back. He said, you have a subjective reality. Something did happen. I said, well, I know something happened, but I'm trying to find out what was it. They said, the church is telling me Satan, demons. Uh, the psychic is telling me aliens. He said, probably coincidence. I said, I, I don't think so. Well, three weeks later, Dr. Haynes sees me on television winning an airplane on a slot machine. I put in three quarters in a slot machine at uh, Caesars Tahoe. He said, you know, you're supposed to be jumping up and down. You just want an airplane. But I was frozen. <clears throat> All the other things could have been coincidence. But here now was an airplane. They didn't even believe me that I was a pilot. I had to show my pilot's license. And it <clears throat> really shook me up. So I called Dr. Haynes and I said, see... He still says coincidence. I had to uh, sign a form that I would appear on television winning the airplane. <clears throat> and somebody at the National Enquirer got a hold of the story and got me in touch with Dr. James Harder, who just recently passed away last year. He was a research, uh, not a research, he was a uh, professor of engineering at UC Berkeley. And I under, did a little research on Dr. Harder, found out he got involved because he was sent a piece of metal to examine. He said, there's no way this could have been manufactured on this planet. So he asked me if he could regress me. And I never, I assumed that was hypnosis. I said, I never have been. I don't know if I can be. He said, well, let me try it. So he did. And after the first session, he says, I think you were abducted. Okay. <clears throat> so I was working for the newspaper, and I was at a restaurant across the street from the paper, and Warren Henkel, who was good friends with Hunter S. Thompson, pretty eccentric uh, uh, columnist, he says, you're the guy that won the airplane. I go, yeah. I asked him what he knew about Dr. Harder. He said, pretty bright guy. He said a lot of people think he's uh, a little strange because of his UFO beliefs. I said, well, he just told me that he thinks I was abducted and he wants me to come back for another hypnosis session. And Warren asked me if he could go with, with me, and I said, sure, I'd really appreciate it. And he brought a lawyer along as a fair witness. After the hypnosis session was over, he asked Dr. Harder what his conclusion was. He said he was 99% convinced that I'd been abducted many times. <clears throat> so Warren writes a full-page story in the Chronicle, the newspaper where I'm working at, and the harassment I put up with. Uh, they started calling me E.T. Somebody wrote on my desk, E.T. tastes like chicken. 
uh, <clears throat> it was a big laugh for them. So, <clears throat> a woman at the casino reads Warren's story. She called me up. She said, do you realize the flying saucer was hovering over the casino? I said, could you draw a picture of it? <clears throat> she drew a picture, and it was a triangle. And under hypnosis, I had said I was in a triangular-shaped room. The article you see up now is the article that Warren Henkel wrote, Ben Kenobi and the Man with the Dark Secret. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I'm going, wait a minute, this is really getting crazy. So working in the newspaper, I had access to the morgue. The morgue is where the dead uh, files are. I was looking for any, any lead. And one of the leads it came up with was the name Illuminati. And I had heard that the name Illuminati was found in Sir Han's notebook. And that notebook disappeared. <clears throat> now, I, uh, in my investigation, I found that um, some people said the Illuminati was the Rockefeller Industrial Complex. Others said it, they were aliens. So I went and pulled Sir Han's file out to see if I could find anything pertaining to Illuminati in his file. I didn't find that, but I found the Rosicrucians. So I went down to their headquarters in San Jose. I was living in California at the time. I uh, told them I wanted to join. What, what are the requirements? And she told me, and I thought I was going to drop the big bombshell on her. I said, how does the Illuminati fit in with your organization? She said, they're the upper echelon. So <clears throat> she said she would meet me out in the garden later. And I waited quite a while, um, never showed up. I went to, over to a metaphysical bookstore. A woman did a reading on me. She said, I'd never seen energy like her put my hands on her hands, and she just, just said, whoa. So <clears throat> after I'd seen Dr. Haynes and Dr. Harder, I went to my uh, the psychic, Fred Nall, and I said, Fred, I don't have an answer. He said, well, contact Dr. Chris Hatcher. Dr. Hatcher was a hostage and terrorist negotiator. Uh, did a lot of work with the CIA. He deprogrammed the hostages when they came back from Moran, the Jones Temple people. Um, this letter you see up there is a letter I, under the Freedom of Information Act asks, asking the CIA any information on the Illuminati. You can see their response. I also requested from the FBI, Council on Foreign Relations, Cinema Educational Guild, they sent me 48 pages, would only release uh, uh, 47, even though they could redact most of it, which they did on most of the pages. Um, Dr. Hatcher was not UFO-oriented, and that's really what I wanted. He said, I'll see you four times, and I'll give you an evaluation. After the fourth time, he said, I'm going to continue seeing there. There's something there. 
Now, at that time, he didn't tell me, but he felt that I had a rare form of telekinesis, that I was creating these events, making these events happen. But working with him for four years, I remember sitting in his office asking if there's any way he could stop this. He's, John, I don't know what we're dealing with. So the article that's up there now, this is a Marin couple that was living about a mile from my house. And I read the article, and they said they had seen uh, a UFO over their house twice. I asked them, what was the date of your first sighting? February 19th, 2.30 a.m. That's the exact same time I won the airplane. So there was one over the casino and one a mile from my house, and it was the same shape, the triangle again. <clears throat> this, I got a phone call one day. This guy said he worked for Lockheed Missile Systems. He believed that there were aliens, and he asked if he could come over. So he came over, and now this is 1981. He came over with a camcorder. 1981, I don't think too many people had camcorders, but I didn't. I thought maybe he was an eccentric rich kid. So Dr. Harder invited all of us to come over to his house. Uh, Fred Null, the psychic. Uh, I bought this uh, guy that called me up. After Dr. Harder says, where do you know this guy from? I said, uh, he called me up. He said, well, how did he get your unlisted number? I said, I don't know. He then told Fred Null that the government was going to kidnap me to find out what I knew. I said, I'll tell them anything they want to know. He said, no, it's what you don't remember. So Dr. Harder called me a few days later and said, you're rid of him. He's military intelligence. And I'm still, you know, I still can't believe this. This is like, uh, you know, some grade B movie that script that somebody had written. So I was put in contact with uh, the Berkeley Psychic Institute, also um, the famous psychic um, uh, Sylvia Brown. And Sylvia saw me, and I asked her what it was I came in contact with in Sequoia. She says, your spirit guide, very tall, very silver, still with you. I said, well, that doesn't give me any answers. She says, I said, why does alien keep entering into this? She said, I see you in a flying machine directing the building of the pyramids. Now, that's exactly what the Ouija board had said, in essence, years prior. I sat in front of the Psychic Institute. They said they'd never seen energy like me. This Fred, uh, not Fred, no, the, the guy that had called me up. Um, put him through tests. He says, I have a picture here in my suitcase. I'd like you to tell myself and John what I have in the suitcase. We don't participate in circus games. So um, that was the end of that. Now, every time I was regressed, hypnotized, I think three times by Dr. Harder, a couple of times by Dr. Haynes, they could only go so far and it became very rigid. So I asked him to give me sodium pentothal and they wouldn't do it for one reason or another. So in 1986, I had surgery on my knee. <clears throat> and uh, after surgery, the doctor asked my friend whether or not I hallucinated. 
And she said, why is that? He says, the nut that said John was talking about being bored of flying saucer. So I said, I need to talk to him. I you know, need to know what I said. The anesthetist wouldn't return my phone calls. So the, the doctor who was working with me, I asked him to contact this anesthetist, tell him I will never mention his name. All I want from him is, what did I say? That's all. Well, Michael checked with him. He got back to me. He said, whatever you said scared the hell out of him. He doesn't want to touch it. So a couple of years later, I'm talking to Dr. Harder, and I said, you know, I'm really concerned that he wouldn't let me, you know, tell me what I said. I mean, all those years wanting sodium pentothal, finally I have it. What, you know, what did I say? Well, Dr. Harder said, why don't you uh, let me talk to him? I said, well, I'll, I'll try again. So I called the anesthetist's office. He said, you didn't have anesthesia. I said, of course I did. He said, well, contact the hospital. Well, I contacted the hospital. They had since gone into bankruptcy. And I contacted their office in Los Angeles. And he said, I need a locator number. So I got the number, called the office back in Marin County. He calls me back. He says, your file's not here. Now, <clears throat> Dr. Haynes thought that was the strangest of everything, not the fact that I won an airplane on a slot machine. My car was sitting there one night. It burned up. The heat was so intense, it melted the engine block. When I called Dr. Harder <clears throat> and asked him, or told him what had happened with my car, he said, they zapped you. I said, who zapped me? He said, the aliens. I said, why? He said, because you're talking. So I called my insurance company. I said, Check out that car very thoroughly. I'd like to know where that fire originated, what caused it. They called me back and said, we don't know. A year and a half or two later, I'm sitting with one of the executives having lunch at the newspaper. He said, John, I'm not laughing at you. He said, I saw the fire department's report. He said, I had to do a double take. <clears throat> he said, fire due to supernatural causes. So it was one thing right after another. In fact, at one time, um, well, because of the psychics telling me I had the power to cure or to kill, a friend of mine all of a sudden developed cancer, and I thought I was the, the cause of it. And then when I tried to cure him, they said, okay, kill or cure, he still died. <clears throat> so I tried to end it all. Wound up in the hospital. <clears throat> Dr. Hatcher was uh, there waiting for me. And here I am in a ward <clears throat> with people with anorexia, other problems. And I said, What are you in here for? And I said, I guess flying saucers. And they all moved away from me. <laughs> So at one point, I got so desperate, <clears throat> I went to the Russians. I went to the Russian consulate. 
I'd heard they were doing a lot of research into UFOs and parapsychology. I said, if I can't find the answers here, I'll go to the Russians. Well, I told Dr. Hatcher what I had done. He went right through the roof. Now, Dr. Hatcher, I found out, was doing a lot of work with the CIA. He's John, they could have kept you. I didn't think about that. <clears throat> I needed an answer, and I needed an answer quick. So, when I went to the Russian consulate, they said, what do you want in exchange? You know, if they wanted to test me or whatever. I said, any information you can give me on the Illuminati and the assassination of Robert Kennedy. Next thing I knew, I was being escorted out of the consulate. Um, I've been working in D.C. for about 13 years. A lot of work with Congress. I do documentary films, investigations. And when I first moved to D.C., they tried to discredit me two ways. The way this book came out is I grew up with Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead. We were best friends from five years old. And I wrote a book about our growing up together. And the editor read my uh, journal. He said, this would make quite a, quite a book, story. I really didn't want to uh, touch it. Finally... Uh, in fact, my wife, who's out here, is from Venezuela. When I first met her, it was in a rough draft, and I gave it to her to take back to Venezuela to read. And she came back, she said, just to see if I was crazy after she read the book. So she's still married to me, so I, <laughs> I don't know. But um, a couple of the interesting things that I thought were interesting that came out of all this, if you notice some of the names that I mentioned, Dr. Hatcher, Dr. Harder, Dr. Haynes, Dr. Heineck, Warren Henkel, and my real last name is John Holmes, or Holmes. They're all H's. Now, that was pointed out to me at that time. I don't know what it means. It just, but all these coincidences happening. Um, uh, a radio show invited me to go on in San Francisco to debate a Philip Class. I didn't know who Philip Class was. They said he was the editor of Aviation Weekly. And right away he says, UFOs don't exist, aliens don't exist. I said, I don't know how you can say that. I said, I'm not saying absolutely. I'm presenting the evidence. You'd be the judge. I told him about the UFO over the casino. He said, if that's true, it would have made the front page of the paper. I, I said, it did. The Tahoe Daily Tribune. I have a copy of it. I'll send it over to you. I said, the police were chasing it. The fire were chasing it. Dr. Haynes has a picture of it. He said, the only way, uh, it turns out he had a $10,000 reward out for anybody that can prove they were taken aboard a flying saucer. He said, the only way he would pay is if the FBI said, I was abducted. And I said, well, first off, I think they're part of the cover-up, number one. Number two, I said, even if they felt that I was, I doubt very much if they're going to admit it. 
I said, what I will do, I'll go on any national TV show, submit to any type of test that they want to conduct, but let the audience be the, uh, the jury, the judge. The, the reason why I'm here <clears throat> today, last year I was hospitalized, <clears throat> and the nurse had read my book, and she started telling my wife and myself about these aliens that were bothering her. She showed us symbols on her arm, on her body. She asked me if I could help her. I said, I don't get involved with that. But she reminded me of me back in uh, the 80s when all the heavy stuff was going on. She was desperate. So I said, okay, I'll try to get a hold of Dr. Haynes, Dr. Harder. I found out Dr. Harder passed away. Couldn't get a hold of Dr. Haynes, and I looked up on the Internet, and I saw International UFO Congress. I contacted uh, Bob Brown. I said, can you help this uh, lady? And he said, what's your involvement? I sent him a copy of my book, and obviously he thought it was uh, interesting. But I went back to the nurse, and she changed completely. She said, I have it all taken care of. I don't need it anymore. But I committed to come out here. I know a colleague, a friend of mine, and... um, major network, when I told him I was coming out here last year to just check it out, he said, be careful of those people. <laughs> well, I'm really happy I came out last year. This is an, uh, to watch. Because I just wish that we had people like Bob Brown and his family, Nicole, in our government because I thought everybody was like the people in Washington, D.C. They have forgotten all values of this country. But I meet people like Bob Brown and a lot of people I've met here and I go, you know, there's still hope for this country. And like I said, the organization, Nicole, what she's done to this. I used to produce rock and roll concerts. I've done press conferences, major ones. So I know what goes into it. She's done a great job. And Bob Brown, uh, like I said, I wish everybody... (laughs) That's how people used to be. Families, they're not like that, especially Washington, D.C., I just wish that somebody would, um, you know, I I was hoping, I think, uh, because there's still loose ends, what happened to me. You know, what did I say on the sodium pentothal that scared this doctor so bad? I talked to doctors, other anesthetists. They said, you must have said something really out of the ordinary because we hear people babble stuff all the time. We hear them say we've killed people. But he said for the anesthetist to pass it on to the doctor and the doctor to pass it on had to be something very extraordinary. Um, there's so many right angle turns in this story. In my investigation to find out if I was dealing with aliens, supernatural forces, 
it led to Dr. Bernard Diamond. I remembered his name from Sirhan's files, being the psychiatrist who evaluated Sirhan Sirhan. And one day I went up to see Dr. Hatcher, and his name was on the bulletin board with Dr. Hatcher. And I said, Chris, do you know Dr. Diamond? Sure. I said, I'd like to talk to him. So I went up, told him everything that happened at that point. He says, John, you're on the right trail. He told me when he hypnotized Sirhan, Sirhan was in a hypnotic state at the time of the shooting. He didn't know he was shooting Robert Kennedy, if in fact he did. And he said he only had two cases that had a missing link like that. One was the Sirhan, Sirhan, and the Charles Manson case. So I told him, I said, you're not, you're not going to believe this, but I knew Charles Tex Watson. I had him in the backseat of my car about eight months before he killed Sharon Tate. So I went over to interview uh, Tex Watson. He did remember me. I wanted to find out if there was any link at all. Illuminati, Rosicrucians, Tex, um, there was nothing there. I said, well, I need to talk to Manson. I got as far as the glass house. This was at Napa, uh, the medical facility where Manson was. This was 1984, 85. And he started yelling something to the guard. And the guard said, he thinks you want to kill him. I said, no, a lot of people like to kill him, but I just need to talk to him. He said, he'll see you, but he wants you to write him first. And I knew why he wanted that, because he still had people on the outside. So I was getting ready to write him. I was going to get a post office box. And I just dropped it. I said, I really don't want any window open uh, like it was back in uh, the early 80s because I always think, well, you know, I'm much stronger now. I could probably handle it. I don't know. I just don't want to chance it. <clears throat> in fact, I've I had a couple of things happen ever since I said yes to this. I've never sleptwalked in my life. I woke up one night total darkness, turned on my computer, I started writing something, it was like I was writing in stone, all the letters kept moving and changing colors and I woke my wife up and I said I just wrote a masterpiece I read it, it's something that I would never write it came from somewhere else and then when I arrived here Wednesday, I had a message on my phone, the commander of the naval base. They said, we need to talk to you about your book, Posan. Um, like I said, they did try to discredit me on, on two, and that was uh, you know, the Jerry Garcia and uh, the UFO. But after certain people in Washington read the book, they said, oh, we understand this is, uh, you know, because when they take it out of context, yes, I had an encounter. You, you have to read the book and you judge for yourself. I just present the facts as they happen. So, like I said, I still have these loose ends, or loose end, not knowing... <clears throat> I think uh, every day I open the front door, <clears throat> I'm expecting something to be there. You know, maybe uh, the IRS, <laughs> I don't know. 
But um, speaking of the IRS, after I won the airplane, I had to fight the IRS for three years on that. So if you're going to win, win the blackjack. Don't win on a uh, uh, slot machine. Um, does anybody have any questions? Anybody? Okay. And if there's anybody out there that happens to have any sodium pentothal on them, I appreciate it. Like I said, I'm still hoping that, you know, maybe that answer will uh, show up. And you'll see the, um, I had a picture of me and Sonny Bono up on the screen there. Let's see if I can get it back here. Is it up there? No, it's not up there. Okay, I um, see if I forgot anything here. Oh, I had the one article. It's up there. Okay. Yeah, this was just before Sonny was killed. I've got other pictures of other politicians that I've worked with trying to get some information. Uh, in the article I just wrote, I inferred that Sonny was killed. It was no accident. But there's really no way to prove it. Good guy. There's an article about the, the two books, Dead Angel. There's a picture of Jerry Garcia. So that's it. And again, I want to really thank Nicole and Bob Brown for having me out here. It's the first time I've ever talked about this uh, like this. Um, and I'm glad I did because it really um, got out there. So... Again, thanks for having me. I hope uh, you enjoyed it.